right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I think I'm in a sports funk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Um, I, I mentioned I didn't go to the Chiefs game uh, this past Sunday Night Football. I had a ticket available, didn't go to the game. Last night's KU UTEP game. I thought it was a snoozer. I mean, am, am I losing my edge? Am I starting to get bored by sports? Do I have validity here? That game was boring, right? I mean, I I think it's it's it was bore it was more boring than some games, but I think it's always fun to watch KU win by twenty. Oh, points. for sure. I mean, it it was. I mean, you didn't turn the game off, did you? No, no, I watched good. the whole thing. No, then you're good. You know, got to talk about it today for three hours, yeah, so I better watch the whole you're thing. You're good. You're good. Um, we're going to talk about it more with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star coming up in about 30 minutes from right now. I'm also really excited. At the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to have David Lawrence on. And David is going to really give us some good stories with KU Missouri, Don Fambro. I, I've never personally experienced the KUMU rivalry, so I'm really excited to kind of hear David reminiscing on the rivalry and where that goes. But KU did beat UTEP last night. It was a game that they dominated from... Uh, start to finish. I, I think part of the reason I thought it was was kind of boring was just the idea that like UTEP was really bad. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about them than that they were just not a good basketball team. And KU got up forty-one to nineteen. I mean, there were plays where it was like when you had the two UTEP guys that like, collide, lose the basketball. KU gets like the easy bucket, like things like that. It it, it did not look like a um even four and three college basketball team. And then you had KU get up so much in that game so early on and at halftime that it felt like they just kind of let their foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, I think my biggest thing was when you've got a halftime lead like that, your biggest thought is, hey, cool, can they hit 100? Mm -hmm. And they were just, KU came out super flat. And you understand why, but KU came out super flat offensively in the second half, so there wasn't even that sort of excitement to look forward to no I think they had like eight points in like seven minutes uh, to start the second half something like that so it, it was just kind of a, a more boring ho-hum game so to speak but as far as I guess takeaways from the game I said yesterday I don't know how much you're going to be able to take away from a game like this because I was expecting KU to win big I didn't know it was going to be you know to necessarily that level of domination I thought if they won big it would be because they put up 90 points, and UTEP had 65 or something. I didn't realize it would be because UTEP was going to go 3 of 23 from 3 and and struggle holding on to the basketball and things like that. But Ochai and Christian Brown, that show continues on. And I think at this point, like without going too in-depth on, on other college basketball teams, you feel like KU might have the best wing position just overall in the country. At the very least, they're in that conversation again without being, you know, an expert of every other team in the country. They'd certainly have to be up there. And above everything else, like, that continues on for both of them, and both of them were great once again last night. 
Yeah, I think you you said it pretty well. I, I again, I think they were both part of the whole team was flat in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, Self said after the game that he he felt um, uh, Christian Brown missed out on about three or four more uh, shots he should have taken, and he's all you know that's that just kind of shows he's got the green light. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think more than anything, it's probably good because when Self gives a player the green light, they really have earned it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think you know you're, you're kind of seeing um, two players separate themselves. And I think an unfortunate thing is you're not really seeing two players, you know, McCormick, I, I really just don't see David McCormick playing himself out of the lineup, but you are seeing, um, you know, you're not seeing anybody rush in to steal that spot from Bobby Pettiford while he's on the bench, um, mm-hmm. at least in, in the first game. Uh, and, and Remy Martin was kind of, I don't know, it, you know, there was a lot of thuds off the rim that, that probably were otherwise good shots. Uh, it, it just in all, it was just kind of okay. It happened. Like no one's gonna remember this one, uh, down the road. No, no, absolutely. This will be a game that you know when we get to February or, or March or something, we're gonna be like, do you remember who KU beat at the T-Mobile Center? And we're like, no, I have, I have no idea. I don't even remember the score of the game. I don't remember who they played. All that stuff. Um, because everything too that we talked about yesterday of what we were looking forward to see if it would happen, you know, didn't really happen um one of the things was are you going to get a a more clear picture of what the rotation looks like I don't really think we did maybe um who's going to be the guy that steps up for Bobby Pettiford in his absence well Joseph Yesifu didn't really capture a bigger role without Bobby Pettiford he only played nine minutes instead honestly if if you were to say somebody captured more of a role. It felt like Jalen Coleman-Lands played more, but also how much of that is just because you got up by so much and he's playing the last five minutes of the game, a couple of the minutes with walk-ons coming in. Maybe Jalen Wilson was the biggest beneficiary because we saw him get a lot of run out there. But again, it's hard to tell how much of it was, did you get more run because Bobby Pettiford wasn't playing or did you get more run because you were winning by 20, 30 points in that game and you were just trying to get some other guys more minutes? That's a good point. You can experiment more with... um with, with different looks, different lineups, if you're Bill Self. We talked about that toward the beginning of the season. I think you haven't had an over-under for either the Stony Brook or the um, uh, whoever the first game of the year was, the first uh, regular season game of the mm-hmm. year was. Um, one of those games, you had an over-under for how many different looks, how many different uh, lineups is Bill Self going to put out there. That's a luxury they had last night. Um, but, it, I don't know, they just... I really think they missed a lot of players missed opportunities in the second half to look more focused, to look cleaner, and that's kind of annoying to me because I I really like those teams that all right we're up twenty great let's go try to get up thirty okay we're up thirty let's go try to get up forty and defensively I did think they stayed stingy uh, but I just I don't think that continued on the offensive floor I, I don't think they kept attacking. The way they could have. No, and and yeah, maybe that is the takeaway that the defense looked good, and that was something we said yesterday. Bad team. Yes, UTEP's offense has not been good this season. They ranked in the three hundreds, both shooting twos and threes coming into that game. But that's that's the issue here. I don't know. You know, do I take away from this saying KU's making strides defensively, or do I take away from this saying UTEP's just really bad? But the good news is, you know, 
the worst thing we could have been talking about today is that KU's defense got torched by a bad offense. That didn't happen. That's positive. Um, Jalen Wilson, his shooting woes continued, and and I think we just keep waiting and, and pushing off for Jalen Wilson to kind of have a return game, though he did do well in, in other regards. He had seven rebounds. He had three assists in that game. He just hasn't been able to score very consistently, which is a little worrisome because that was like last season when he was at his best scoring early in the year, he was playing the five, and he was able to get an advantage on other fives because he could dribble past them. He could shoot um, by them if they if they sagged back to, to prevent the drive. Uh, last year, though, when he was playing more of the four, he wasn't as effective because it was a little harder to dribble by the four-man because they were a little faster, or it was a little harder to shoot over the four-man because they would be able to come out on you and uh, be able to still prevent you driving. And that is a little worrisome to me. He hit a big three, which maybe that'll get him out of his, his shooting slump, um, but that's definitely, I guess, a takeaway you could have from the game. The over, something we talked about yesterday. I thought the over was going to be a lock. Well, it didn't hit because UTEP couldn't score. And like I said, KU took their foot pedal or foot off the uh, gas pedal yesterday. I I guess I don't know how much even we take away from David McCormick because um, on one hand, it wasn't a back-to-back stellar performance for him, which was another thing we talked about yesterday that you're going to be looking for in this game. Can David McCormick continue with a string of strong play back-to-back games? He had eight points, three rebounds in you know under 20 minutes in the game. So I, I don't know how much you can take away because it's a limited time. He got kind of banged up at one point, but he was just he was fine. He wasn't great. He wasn't bad. Um, although he did basically commit a war crime by missing that layup on the behind the back pass that Remy Martin served up to him. Uh, he he, I don't know. He owes Remy Martin something for that. Um, so so I don't know. I I don't really have any sweeping takeaways from this game. I don't really have anything that popped out in regards uh, to what happened outside of those small little notes for this game, do you have anything? No, I I mean, my two biggest things that I was looking for were Dave and Remy Martin, and Mm -hmm. neither of them came away with me going, wow, how about that? Um, I think you you said it really well. You're not necessarily upset with what Dave did or didn't do, but you can't mark it down as a definitive positive. Um, and, And he had a chance. I mean, UTEP was not a big team, so he had a real chance to assert himself now, I think a lot of the KU points came from fast breaks, and just by the nature of his position and, and his size, he's not going to be involved in a ton of fast breaks. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I'll say this, he displayed less. He's still a pretty good passing big man, and I still like to see that. Yeah, and that's something Bill Self talked about in that presser the other day. So, um, yeah, just a fine performance for Dave, and I, I think that is maybe the metaphor for KU in that game it was a fine performance. You got no points from Emmy Martin. You had limited performance from David McCormick. Christian Brown and Ochai, they kept doing their thing. But outside of that, everything was just fine. You played a bad team. You beat them like you should. There's no negatives coming out of this, but there's not really anything that's a sweeping change or a sweeping positive. So KU down to UTEP last night. We'll talk more about it with Jesse Newell coming up in about 25 minutes from right now. We'll talk with David Lawrence at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up next, we're going to let you listen in to some audio from the KU volleyball team. They play tomorrow in the Sweet 16 against Pittsburgh. That on the other side with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320, KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on RCST. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, last night, KU just worked the floor with UTEP. Uh, I thought it was kind of a uh, ho-hum game, to say it kind of nicely. Uh, was there anything you learned in last night's game, or was it just a a thing that happened? <laughs> Yeah, uh, mostly I think it's just a thing that happened. Yeah. It's, college basketball has become sort of, I don't know if random is the right word, but, you know, if you come into any game and you shoot like UTEP did, you go 3 of 23 from 3, I mean, might as well just shut the lights off. I mean, you're not going to win. And especially facing like Kansas, where Kansas didn't even play its best, didn't really play that great offensively. But, you know, if a team is just going to come in and make no threes, you're just going to lose. And that's sort of what I thought the main storyline was. Last night, KU had some good defensive stretches. They obviously forced UTEP into some of those tougher threes, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, all in all, it's, it was just kind of one of those bleh games. And it's a bleh game and a lot of bleh games that happen at the Sprint slash T-Mobile Center for these December matchups where there just is no buzz, no energy in the building. So game moves on. That's probably the most important thing for the Jayhawks. They'll still knew that there's going to be a lot of passion completely end of the spectrum uh, when it comes to KU Missouri coming up on Saturday in Outfield House. So get the win, move on, move on to the next one. And that's probably the best that can be said about that particular KU victory uh, last night. Who do you think was the biggest beneficiary of Bobby Pettiford being out? Because I thought coming into the game, maybe it would be Joe Yesifu. Didn't necessarily feel like that was the case to me. So who did you think maybe benefited the most from an increased time in, in minutes or role or whatever it would be in that game? And, and do you think it'll be that same person moving forward? That's tough to tell. I would say going in it would have been Joseph Yesifu, but he didn't really do too much out there and, and didn't play as well as he has been playing in, in recent games lately. Uh, you know, Jalen coleman Land, I guess, he got 10 minutes which is more than he'd been getting. But, you know, Bill Zelf talked afterwards. He was pretty open and frank to said that Bench wasn't very good, you know. So um, my, my hunch on this, if you're just looking at the aggregate of, like, which players probably are going to get more playing time, not that Bobby was playing that much, but, but which players are probably going to increase their playing time as the season goes on, I would most likely say Jalen Wilson. And he mostly got his minutes because Dave McCormick went out with the ankle tweak, so he was sort of playing the five in the second half and trying to get things going in, in his direction where you know, he's really struggled lately, too. So uh, I would probably say moving forward it's Jalen Wilson just because from a pure numbers perspective, you're just looking at Ken's roster and going, who is going to get more minutes moving forward? And if you lose a few minutes from somebody else, who will those go to? I'd probably say Jalen Wilson, but... You know, there's still things he's working on, and he finally got a three to go down, which I think is important for him and his confidence moving forward. Actually, he had some good passes and rebounded it pretty well in a limited amount of time, but I still don't think he's doing the sorts of things offensively and in transition that uh, Bill Self believes that he can do for this year's team. So uh, we'll see if uh, he sort of snaps out of this mini fun that he's in, because if that does happen, then I definitely see him getting more than 21 minutes per game moving forward. Yeah, it's tough with Jalen because he's one of the most versatile players on the team. And, and as you mentioned, like uh, Bill Self has raved about his defensive rebounding and his ability in transition. But uh, I think right now it's it's 
you know, you kind of circle like, how are you going to consistently score the basketball? Because if you're not shooting well, if you're playing the five, it's one thing to drive your guy. But we haven't really seen the drives work either when he's playing against a three or a four. I, I kind of wonder what his fit is on this team if if everybody's healthy. Yeah, and, and I will point this out, and this is kind of a, a good thing. I think that the more analysis we have, the better to kind of maybe see some of those things that aren't as evident when you're just looking at a box score or score line. Uh, I've been following shot quality, uh, which is uh, uh, kind of an analytics site that's new out there for college basketball. Basically, they look at every shot and kind of try to factor in whether the shot goes in or not. Uh, you know, how much, what's the point for possession on that particular total and kind of take a little bit of the shooting luck out of it. But they also have kind of a, a really cool stat called uh, passing points created. And so it looks at, hey, if you make this pass to somebody and even if they don't make the shot, what is the expected point total of you passing that ball and, and getting that shot? And so I will say that, you know, Galen had a, a pretty good total of that, uh, you know, second on the team to Dewan Harris last night. Uh, for Kansas when it came against uh, UTEP. So I think that's a positive contribution he can make. I remember the one that Christian Brown had on the dunk on the cut where Jalen actually, you know, he did things right. Dave McCormick was open inside for a, a half a second, but UTEP brought a bunch of help. So because there was that traffic jam, Jalen Wilson drove baseline, drew two defenders, looked back, saw Christian Brown cutting, hit him in stride, and he gets KU two points. So Again, those don't always, you know, aren't readily available. I know that's going to be an assist for Jalen, but those aren't always like, oh my gosh, you know, knock you over the head with this is a great play that Jalen Wilson made. But we've seen Kansas this year. You know, they have a score in Ochai Abaji. They have a score in Christian Brown. They have a potential score in Remy Martin. So, um, you know, if Jalen Wilson doesn't always just help them scoring wise in transition, I'm not sure he has to completely force things. If he's a distributor and a rebounder and a scrappy player and helps them play faster, then he potentially can carve out a pretty nice role without having to be that point scorer that he potentially or, or previously had to be for Kansas in an earlier season. Is it worrisome at all that when you look at KU's non-conference schedule now without the Alabama game in there and with some of these teams struggling that there isn't really the marquee non-con win? I, I mean, Michigan State is 22nd on Ken Palm, so that's a, that's a good win, right? But um, there's not really that that huge one, and, and they still have an opportunity, obviously, with Kentucky. But again, a team ranked 20th, so that wouldn't be like a top 15 or top 10 win unless things change with Kentucky. Is that worrisome at all for KU's seed compared to years past when it almost feels like you know KU could be, I don't know, the, the 12th best team in the country, which would technically be a three seed, but because of the schedule, they work their way into like a two seed. It, it feels like this year might be a little different. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it could be. I just I don't see it as a major issue for Kansas. It's almost like they became their own worst enemy in that regard, too, because what's the first thing you always hear about with Kansas in the NCAA tournament? Well, they never play up to their seed. Well, you just kind of mentioned, Derek, why sometimes it's tough for them to play up to their seed, because sometimes with the schedule manipulation that they did, they were overseeded. <laughs> you know, they were they were getting a seed potentially a little bit higher up than they deserved because they were very smart about how – they got these opponents and, and went out there and got quality wins and made their resume boost up and look a lot better than potentially it really was. Uh, you know, and having said all that, there's so many ways to win a championship. You know, there's so many ways to win a championship. You just got to get hot at the right time. But I'm looking at it right now, if you're looking at Ken Baum's rankings, uh, the non-conference strength of schedule right now or, or the, uh, yeah, the, the non-conference strength of schedule or the overall strength of schedule, I'm looking at the top eight. 
Kansas's non-conference strength schedule is second out of all those top eight teams. Uh, the only one better is Villanova right now. Uh, so you're looking at Gonzaga, Purdue, Baylor, Houston, Villanova. Vill- I'm sorry, Villanova. I said, but Duke, UCLA. All those teams have had worse, worse non-conference schedules so far than Kansas. Even though Kansas hasn't hit what they normally do with theirs, because they normally load it up. Uh, and the other thing I would say is, I mean, look at a team like Texas Tech. I mean, they always play, you know, St. Mary's Sister for the Blind in their non-conference, but. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes you develop depth, you get guys' confidence, all those sorts of things. I'm looking at those non-conference schedules. Texas right now is at 346 in strength of schedule mm. non-conference, and Texas Tech is at 350. So, uh, like I said, there's many ways to get to the final destination point, and if Texas or Texas Tech is underseed by a, a, a line or two, that might be okay for them just because of the, the, what they developed earlier in the season because they, they sort of gained things in, in that early play. So this is not a typical Bill Self non-conference schedule, but at this point, I think what his main concern should be is getting this team as close to its ceiling as possible. And if KU does that, they're going to be in the running for a one seed anyway. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I asked you last week when you came on the show like how far-fetched it would be to question if Christian Brown was actually the best player on KU, even over Ochai. And we both agreed it was Ochai. Um, one of the main points you had was the defense was a big reason why. But we've now seen two more cases uh, for Christian Brown really going off, not that Ochai hasn't, um, I, I guess instead of viewing it as which player's better, do both of these players actually deserve early National Player of the Year hype right now? I'd probably call for team hype. Um, you know, for Christian, it's, he's had a couple really good games. I, I definitely think Ochai is the more complete player. And, you know, I, I say that again, same thing. If you're looking at the box score and you're saying, okay, well, how do you think he's more complete? Christian has more rebounds. Christian has more steals. You know, Christian is scoring as well as he has in recent games. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, all those numbers are good. I mean, listen, Christian's a scrappy player. He goes in there, kind of gets his nose through, those sorts of things. But uh, Ochai defensively, he, he's, I think the best way to say he's solid. You know what I mean? Like it's it's he is he understands the team concepts. He understands when he's supposed to help. And then his guy, when his guy gets it, it's just really hard to drive around Ochai. Like he's got athleticism, he's got length, he can slide, those sorts of things. Christian's getting better in that regard. And KU's defensive numbers, if you look at as the season has gone on, um, they are better with Christian on the court than without him on the court. So. Um, this is not to say that he is a negative defensively, and obviously the steals are a huge help when you can get in there and poke the ball away. I mean, that's, that's zero points to the other team, and for this Kansas team in transition, a lot of times that's two or three points on the other end because of how well they run. But I still just think there's a level that Christian can get to defensively. He's obviously got the length, um, but you know his man sometimes can get around him and score. And sometimes there's a tendency for Christian, when he's closing out on guys, his hands are down. And, and that's the sort of thing, the sort of, I think mindset that Bill Self wants to have from his team is to have those types of guys in the leadership positions on KU always close out with their hands high, always challenge those sorts of shots, always kind of set that example that um, you're always going to give that full effort when the team is scrapping defensively and trying to help out for each other. So I, I still think Ochai is the more complete player. And heck, if you look at the offensive numbers, even though he's taken all those shots, uh, more uh, Ojai, his offensive rating is above Christian's, even though he's taken on a, a much bigger role uh, in that regard. So, yeah, I still say Ochai is, is, to me, clearly the better player of those two. And again, that's not something I expected for the season because I remember you asking me all those yes no questions, and I thought Ochai would be <laughs> slightly better than last year. So, obviously, that is out the window. But um, no, I, I would still say he's clearly the better player between those two. But that's not a knock on Christian because 
Uh, he has taken a huge step forward this year, and uh, as evidenced by his 72% shooting from two-point <laughs> range. That's something I never thought I'd say about Christian Brown. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to say something that is, I mean, in, in all likelihood, never going to happen this season. So I, I don't even know if this is worth talking about. But just in my brain last night, I got thinking about this, and I, I'd actually like be very, very interested in this experiment if it were to happen on the court. Uh, obviously, Dave, uh, you know, having the, the ankle injury, who knows what will happen there. Um, we've talked about, you know, Jalen Wilson playing a small ball five. Do you think Christian Brown as a small ball five would actually be like an actual viable option? Well, you would point to that basically by saying his height. I mean, he's, he's probably taller, if not just as tall as Jalen Wilson. He's leading the team in rebounds. Yeah, I was going to say the rebounding was, I mean, the next thing I would say is just how well he rebounds the ball defensively. I would say the problem with that is that Bill Self wants to not have other teams get easy baskets. And if you have a true post player going against Christian Brown, there's obviously a strength disadvantage that takes place there. For Kansas, if you're doing that, you're basically selling out on the offensive end. You're saying, hey, you got five guys in there that can run. You've got a couple guys potentially that can rebound, uh, defensive rebound, hold their own the position, and Christian Brown obviously can scrap. I just don't see Bill Self playing that way. And another note I do want to make is, while Dave McCormick, we all know his struggles. We all know potentially what he has not done well early on in this season. Um, when he's in, the efficiency numbers show you that the offense actually is better and the defense has been better. I, I think the last time I checked his efficiency numbers over at EvanMia.com, uh, he was second on the team behind Ochai when it came to the differential and the point score adjusted uh, on offense and defense combined. On the team, and I think a lot of that, you saw like last night with Christian Brown when I talked about Jalen Wilson driving. Well, he drove and had a lane available because there was so much attention on Dave McCormick in the lane. I mean, when you have a big body there, there is still that presence that a lot of people are going to help on him. And then defensively, I think it's the same thing. You know, he might not be the best defender or best rim protector Kansas ever had, but he's a big body. And you saw last night there was a, a play where a UTEP guy basically tried to bully the ball right over the top of him, and Dave McCormick blocked him twice and then got the rebound, pitched ahead, and okay, you got an easy basket or an easy opportunity that way. So I just don't see Kansas playing that way. I mean, I guess that's the that's the long, the short answer to a very long answer that I just gave. But I don't see Kansas playing that way. Maybe a different coach, maybe a different situation. That might be a viable option where a team would just sell out to be the number one team offensively in the nation. I just don't think that's in Bill Self's DNA. So is it a potential emergency option? Yeah, maybe, but I don't think it's something that KU's going to play to. Yeah, and to be clear, like I, I'm not expecting it to happen. I just kind of got uh, daydreaming yesterday during that game because it wasn't always you know, the most entertaining game. And, and in my head, I was thinking, if this team had to defend that uh, 2012 Missouri team, what would they do, right? And, and one of the things that came in my head was that idea. Like, would you play Christian Brown at the five to try to defend that Missouri team? Which brings me into my next question here. Do you have a favorite memory or a favorite story or, or moment uh, just from your time in covering the Kansas-Missouri rivalry? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that 2012 game at the Fieldhouse, uh, I was sitting baseline on the south end, so of that game. So that was where Pressy was coming forward and Thomas Robinson had to block to send the game to overtime. And, you know, I just never forget. I mean, obviously I'm sure the whole game was just crazy and one of the best talent field house atmospheres of all time. But when Thomas Robinson made that block, the only way I could describe it afterwards was I felt 
like from behind me, I felt a burst of sound. It was like a, it was like a sound, a burst of sound that moved you. And I, I, I don't, I've never experienced that. I don't think at any other sporting event where I felt like that. I felt like I was moved forward by people all at once coming together because, I mean, you saw it. Bressy was coming up, and the lane looked open. looked like he was going to hit the layup. It was going to end the rivalry for however long it was going to be. I guess nine years was going to be the official answer. And he was going to lose that game. And then all of a sudden, Thomas Robinson, not a shot blocker, Thomas Robinson, came out of nowhere to send that thing the other direction. So that's probably the top thing I will remember. Obviously, Bill Self had the great celebration afterwards, and he only reserved those for the top of the top victories. But that block on Pressy by Thomas Robinson, so unexpected, kind of came out of nowhere. And I think the raw emotion of that from behind me in the South student section, uh, that's something I won't forget for a long time. All right, you ready for another edition of Kiss, Mary Kill? Let's do it. All right, I'm going all SEC this week. Auburn, Florida, Kentucky. Oh, oh man. That's a, there's a lot to not like in there, huh? <laughs> um, I guess I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll marry Auburn. Um, I, I guess their fans are real happy with me for yeah, voting Yeah, what a up. turn. I mean, they, they, they really can't decide whether I, I'm just hopelessly against Auburn or, or hopelessly for Auburn, but... <laughs> Hey, their efficiency numbers are good. They're looking good so far this season. So um, I guess this is not – maybe I'm just a Bruce Pearl hater in odd years or even years or something. I guess I'll figure out eventually. Um, I will marry then Florida because the, – the, the, listen, the advanced numbers just – Wait, you're marrying two teams? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I marry – I married Auburn. I'll, I'll kiss Florida. Okay. I'll kiss Florida. They never wow. – they just never – Promiscuous. They never lose their way in the, uh, in the efficiency ratings. It's ridiculous. Like, I – I, I look at the spreadsheets every week, like wanting them to fall, and they never do. So, yeah, I guess I'll remain in a uh, in a making out mode with the Gators there, <laughs> and that means I'll kiss or I'll kill Kentucky. Um, not as good as the brand would think. Uh, sounds like Sheway's having a great year for them, but uh, yeah, uh, still some defensive issues for them that uh, need to be fixed, and uh, they are not forcing turnovers, and uh, their schedule as uh, it'll pick up here over time. And right now, the uh, 354th ranked schedule in the uh, in the nation. So when you beat teams, even uh, not by very much, that are that bad, then your numbers aren't going to be that great. You have now killed in back-to-back weeks Duke and Kentucky. So we'll see if North Carolina winds up on the uh, dead blue blood list coming up at, at some point this season. Jesse, before we let you go, uh, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. Uh, would you rather type or uh, write out all of your stories in pen on a pad of paper or go the rest of your life watching TV without a remote control? All my stories writing on paper? <laughs> Every single one of them, Jesse. Well, the, rem- the remotes are going then, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can I can deal with that. But, you know, I, to be honest with you, one of the journalist's worst fears is showing up to a game without a computer. Uh, because you're trying to think of like how would I type this on my my iPhone to get it to a place on the road that it needs to be, and it's it's one of those nightmares that like doesn't happen every week, but does happen every year or so. Me mm. like typing away on my iPhone, trying to file a story back from you know some remote location. So uh, yeah, we're going without remotes. I can definitely deal with that. Grantland Rice is turning in his grave because you're talking about having to type on an iPhone versus. Versus a computer, you're spoiled. Spoiled. I'm I'm long winded, is what I am. That's the problem. <laughs>
All right, that's Jesse Newell into the dreams of Jesse Newell, the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, man. I appreciate it, guys. All right, that was Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Depend on it. What's happening? Welcome in to another hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Javetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Four o'clock hour here on RCST. We will be joined by David Lawrence of the Jayhawk Radio Network in an hour from right now, reminiscing some KU Missouri stories, and he's going to kind of share the the dislike of Missouri, so to speak. So stay tuned for that at the top of the five o'clock hour. But first, it is Wednesday at four o'clock, which means it's time for another edition of Around the World with Adam. All right, we are going to start off in Norwood, Massachusetts, where a company has made a uh, special kind of brownie uh, to celebrate uh, National Brownie Day, which is apparently December 8th, which I believe is today, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, national, happy National Brownie Day. Uh, these people made a special type of brownie that you can only eat in certain states, uh, certain states with a prescription. Uh, do you want to guess uh, how? Oh, Mary Med is the company. They also wanted to promote their new brand. Quote: It's called Bubby's Baked. Um, which Bubby, for the record, is uh, with the nickname my my sisters gave me. They all call me Bubby. Oh, I thought that was a thing you call like your grandmother or something. Uh, some people know. do. For for us, it was uh, what my sisters called me. So, um, so yeah, Bubby's Baked. I have nothing to do with that. By the way, mm. that was a younger younger me would have uh, been all over this. Uh, how much do you think this pot brownie weighs, Derek? How much it weighs? Yeah. Oh, um, big old promotional brownie. Five pounds. Eight hundred and fifty pounds brownie. Okay. It's got twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. How do you cook this? Um. Well, that's a, glad you asked. Thirteen hundred and forty-four eggs. Two hundred and fifty pounds of sugar. Two hundred and twenty. Twelve pounds of butter. Eighty-one pounds of flour. And 122 pounds of cocoa powder, okay. among other ingredients. Uh, it took 24 hours to make it. Mm. Uh, one of the hardest parts of st- was stabilizing the brownie, uh, according to uh, Ryan Crindall, who's a, an official with Mary Med. Um, also, uh, they had to build a special pallet to fortify the table to for the 850-pound brownie. 20,000 milligrams of THC, Derek, which is an average weekend for you. <laughs> so uh, interesting. It, it's um, four thousand times the power of your uh, their average THC brownies, which contain about five milligrams each. There is an urban legend. I want to say. I want to tell you all. I'm not promoting this because I don't. I don't know that it's true. But there is an urban legend that you cannot OD on THC. Um, I think. That's probably as brownie. He'll put it to the I test. Mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't test that. Honestly, I think I mean an 850 pound brownie. I think you'd get if each one of them's five milligrams. I think you just get more. Like I just after 20 milligrams, it's four brownies. I'd just be too full to eat anymore. Okay, so so they're cutting this giant brownie into multiple. Yeah, I, brownies, I, right? I assume that I assume they're planning on unless they want to feed it to an elephant or something. Um, I I assume they're playing. I haven't read, uh, but I think they're they're planning on maybe um, maybe cutting it up and and maybe selling it or sharing it 
I have no idea. It was a promotional material was the whole point of it. Um, let me tell you a story. So I, uh, I used to imbibe quite a bit. Um, if, if a little background on, on myself, if there's a thing to do, I've done it, uh, with very few exceptions, but I no longer, uh, take part in these sorts of things. Not because I have any moral opposition, but because I was at a point in my life where when I would use such products, um, mainly THC, I would get so paranoid that I would freak out and not know what the time was. So then I would just stare at the TV watching episodes of some TV show in, the, in like half hour long TV show so I could cut the time up into 30 minute chunks just so I had some grip on reality. I would always get so paranoid. And eventually I thought, well, this is a waste of money. I'm not enjoying this anymore. So count me out of the 20,000 milligrams of THC. Um, maybe count me in on an 850-pound brownie, though. Well, I just I just philosophically, I don't think it is an 850-pound brownie. If you're cutting it up into different brownies, like, like if I make a tray of brownies yeah. and cut them up, that whole tray is, is not, not one, one brownie, brownie, right? Well, these people consider this one brownie. If you look at it, the shape... It looks much more like the shape of a brownie. Well, then brownie they have to sell it as one. As one and single brownie. And they have to, whoever buys it, it has to show up in a 18-wheeler. Okay. And they have to cart it out and bring it to the guy and be like, here, do with it what you want. Where but do you want to put it? If somebody cuts a piece of those brownies that you've made mm -hmm. and they just take a bite, they didn't eat the whole brownie. They just took a bite of the brownie. Yes, correct. So you can still take a bite of this brownie. Yes. But, I, yeah, I would I would say you're, you're probably right. Um now again, what they're going to do with it, I do like not. It shouldn't know. count as a world record in my eyes. If that, I don't know. If that's what they're going for, yeah. Um, but yeah, twenty thousand pounds worth of weed. Um, so yeah, you need um, you need a nap and some insulin afterwards uh, to get your back going. Um, Alborg, Denmark is where we're heading next. This out of oh, that last mm. story was also from the Huffington Post, as is this one. Alborg, Denmark. One of my if I'm, five favorite cities. If I'm uh, pronouncing it right. Yeah, I hear you got a place there. <laughs> um, so a snowstorm has forced some customers to sleep overnight in a place. You know, you hear about it, you're stuck in the airport overnight because of a snowstorm. Mm -hmm. um, my parents had a, had a story where they were coming back from bowling one night that when they were first either dating or when they were first married. Um, and they couldn't make it home because of a snowstorm. And so, but they, there were no rooms at the hotel. Uh, and so they had to just, they got the, the hotel gave them some, all gave them their, them and their friends some blankets and pillows. And they just slept on the lobby floor there inside the hotel. That wouldn't be great. Where were these people? Where do you, where do you guess they were? A really great place. If you got to be stuck somewhere all night, it's a pretty good spot. So I don't know if this is the same story, but I did see a story about some people being stuck somewhere for a snowstorm and there was like a band. Who just like kept playing music? I forget no, what the band we was. read that. We no, we was that last week. I think we may have read that last okay. week. But no, I know the exact story uh -huh. you're talking. That's not this. This one. isn't that. Okay. No, those people were in a bar. It was like some tribute band. Honestly, that was last week's yeah, story. Yeah, the tribute band would get old, but the bar part. I don't think we did talk about this. I think there's no. Just we didn't a story talk about national. this one. We talked about the 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 tribute band in the bar last week. Mm. This one we did not talk about. These people were cozied up, Derek, inside an IKEA. Okay. Lots of options there. Could be worse. Yeah. yeah. 
You got your meatballs. Uh, I've still never had. You know, I've never been to an IKEA. I haven't either. But People can't you say, get like glasses of wine and stuff? Yeah, too? they have. They, yeah, they they have they have food there. So you have drink. And you have you food. walk around and and it's apparently quite yeah. magical in the Sleep way. Sleep on whatever bed you want. Yeah, whatever people couch. get people get quite surprised when they find out I've never been and they say things to me like Adam, Adam, you can't have you never been to the IKEA. That's crazy. You have to go, Adam, Adam. It's four a.m. Why are you still in my house? <laughs> they say things like that to me. Um, so I've never still I've never been in IKEA. These kind of people got a, a big old big old chance to see the mm. IKEA. They got to use the bed. About two dozen employees and six customers stranded overnight. Apparently at uh, about 12, 12 inches of snow. Um, nobody wanted to go out, so they just hung out. And yeah. No, I, had a nice- I think this is kind of cool. Um, I've always personally been a Nebraska Furniture Mart person over Ikea. Um, so, like I said, I've, I've actually never been to an Ikea, but... This is kind of a dream of mine. Um, if you've ever seen the movie, okay, I don't even know the name of the movie. Uh, it is with Dane Cook and Jessica Simpson, and they're at a Costco. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They basically, you know, they work at Costco, and they have, like, their break room that they set up, like, in one of the, you know, when you're walking through the aisles, they have all the the extra um, product and inventory, and they basically go up a forklift, and they have, like, inside these boxes they set up their own like poker area and it's just cool and and it always has gotten me to thinking i i have thought that like staying the night where you like stow away somewhere at like a costco or something would be so much fun right if you're there with a couple friends you play hide and seek like you can play hide and seek with your friends here at this at, at ikea late at night you have food there you have uh some a little wine to you know enjoy and, and maybe make the night a little bit better i think this would be like actually so much fun i think that they should offer this to customers i think they should be like hey you know, hundred bucks a person. You can stay the night, do whatever you want here. Obviously, if you, you know, can I can I tell you a story where yeah. I got to experience exactly what, yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah. So years and years ago, I'm not going to say the name um, because I don't want to give people the wrong idea of this place. is a really well-run store, but I worked at a furniture store, mm-hmm. and this was Christmas, uh, 2011. So my family we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Day we're really not doing much. So I went to another friend's house. Um, had dinner with them. I get back, and my buddy, who at the time I was working with hauling furniture at this at this store, says, "Hey, we're going to we're going out to the bars. There's this bar that it opened in Gardner, uh, where I lived." And um, he said, "Hey, we're going to the bar." I said, "Awesome." So about then, I'm pulling him into my driveway. I'm about to leave to go to the bar to meet up with him. At the same time, my little sister, who at the time was 20, pulls up, and I said, "Great, you're home now." You can be my DD. We're going. So I hop in her car. We, we get to this bar. Um, it comes to closing time. It's about 1. They, they close at 2, but it, nobody was there. So it was like 1 o'clock. They were kind of encouraging people to head mm-hmm. toward the door. And I turned to my buddy and my sister. I'm like, I don't want to go home yet. I'm like, you know. And it's like, you know what? Let's go. And, you know, we said the name of the store. So we go to the furniture store. First thing we do, we get in the warehouse. There's a heater in the warehouse. Uh, that was a particularly mild winter, so it wasn't particularly cold anyway. But um, we're in the warehouse. We're, I mean, we get schnockered. Absolutely <laughs> obliterated, Derek. Like, he got a, a big old thing of a handle of Crown Royal for Christmas. We, I mean, just any booze you can imagine. We got schnockered. And for the, uh, for the purpose of the radio, my sister did not participate because she was only 20. 
Um, <laughs> but the the, uh, the two of us were were over twenty one, and and we imbibed, and my god. And so we decide, you know what? He also had a key to the back of the actual furniture store, and so. You know, we're closed the next day, day after Christmas. Let's go ahead and crash in there. And so we head on in. We get to, and, and we, we slept in the furniture store that Gee. night. And uh, our boss to this day has no idea it happened. But it was a wonderful memory. Um, not legal. Well, I guess not, not illegal because we, we, we didn't break in anywhere. We yeah. had keys to every place we I went. I love that. I um, love that. It, it was a blast. And, and it was just a fun, you know, we didn't harm anything. Um, it's just a fun little memory. I, I, again, I, I would say probably don't do that if you're listening, if you want to keep your job. But uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy we did it. It's a fun little memory we'll always have together. Do you remember that one story of the guy who broke into a uh, a burger chain? I won't say it because they're not a sponsor. To a burger chain, and all he did, he just himself made himself a burger and left. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that guy was awesome. Uh, you know, it's like Dwayne Bow. Hey, man, is Sonic still open? Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, we're going to move on now. This uh, was uh, somewhere between Syracuse and Atlanta, but officially it was in the sky. Mm-hmm. It was on a Delta Airlines flight from Syracuse uh, to Atlanta. Um, this woman... Now, look, Derek, I want to tell you that I uh, I have no issue. I don't understand why it's a controversy. Some people get offended when a woman nurses her baby in public. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. To me, you're feeding your baby... I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah, it just weirds some people out. It weirds some people out. I personally am not weirded out by it. To me, you're feeding your baby. Do what you got to do. I think it would be weirder if you said, "I." it doesn't weird me out. I love watching it. That would be, that weird. Would be, that weird. Would be equally yes. weird. Yes. <laughs> I don't have any feelings, positive or negative, toward it. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just feeding a kid. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I got to say, I'm not on the side of the uh, nurser in this particular oh. case. The nursing woman... Because she wasn't nursing a baby, Derek. She was nursing a cat. No, she was not. She was allegedly nursing a hairless cat, attempting (sighs) to nurse. I don't think it was successful. Okay, it's a hairless cat. We sure it's not like a really ugly baby? A really hideous baby? It could have (laughs) been. Or maybe she just lied and said it's a hairless cat because she doesn't want to admit how ugly her baby is. Okay, there are so many questions I have here. But she was accused. uh, Passengers took pictures, videos. They were all very disturbed by this. Flight attendants gave her a hassle. Um, allegedly, she was nursing her hairless cat. I can't imagine how bad that would hurt. Yeah, that's the first question. Like, one, I, actually, the first question is why? Like, why? I, we're not going to have an answer to that, but yeah, why? Um, second question, yeah, how bad would that hurt? Um, third question, there's no way that actually works, right? I can't imagine it would latch. No. And even no, if it but did, even have then, you it's seen like, a damn cat's teeth? Well, the other thing is, I thought, okay, I, I don't want to, like, get into, you know, I am the furthest thing from anything medically professioned, but I thought that you would only, I'm trying to say this in, like, a uh, professional way. I thought the only way that you could feed your baby, have food in your breasts, there's <laughs> I, your I, baby, I there, is... You just had the baby. I thought just like instinctually, like well, I, I believe that's actually like like what I'm saying we, we is I don't be, think it just like random times no, could no, go no, around I, and that I think you're right, which would tell me that this woman probably does have a baby. Yeah. Okay. I so would she's, guess she's using her. Oh my gosh. I I that adds so many levels. Now to we this could story. be we could be way off yeah. here, but I believe you are correct in that. So I would assume yeah, she probably has 
a baby of her so own. So weird, Which man. is why she's able to produce this milk that Jail she was for life. allegedly trying to give her cat. Now, again, it's, it's entirely possible that you were right. She just had a hideous baby. And people were offended by the hideous baby, not so much. And they just thought, and she said, well, I don't want to make people think I have an ugly baby. I'm, you know, my baby's not the freak. I'm the freak. <laughs> it's a cat. What's um, the last story? The last story uh, is, um, I oh, that, by the way, it was courtesy of WLBT News. I don't know where they're out of, but uh, somewhere. Um, UPI, out of the UPI. Uh, this is a nice one. Last week, um, uh, somebody stole a bear statue from someplace in Arkansas. Yeah. I don't know if it got returned. However, uh, a in um, Florida, a, a stolen flamingo uh, was returned. Like an actual flamingo? No, a stolen, or a a stolen flamingo. porcelain flamingo oh. statue was returned to uh, Chef Cindy Hudson's home. Um, apparently, it was once an iconic site out of her uh, restaurant in Coral Gables. Uh, it now it then sat outside her home. Somebody stole it while she was out of town last week. I don't know if she was on a flight from Syracuse to Atlanta, but she was out of town. And somebody stole this, and, and she kind of made a plea. They looked at security cameras, um, and apparently somebody returned it. It uh, doesn't say. Uh, it, uh, it seems from this that they um, it, she was out walking the dogs when it was returned, so nobody came and fessed up and said, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, they did return it. So good for them. You know, they, they felt we did something wrong. We did something stupid. You know what? This this weird flamingo statue belongs to this woman. Let's give it back. I Again, like, why do you need to steal a flamingo statue? What is your end to game say you here? did, you probably. Know? <laughs> so, well, that's probably what it is. If they, if they returned it, they probably just wanted to do it for doing it. But that, it's so stupid. So stupid. It's not even funny. All right. Um, well, yeah, that's that's around the world with Adam. Yeah. We went all over the place. That today. is around the world with Adam. From uh, breastfeeding cats to staying the night in Ikea. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we're going to play some more KU Volleyball audio for you on the other side. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. David Lawrence will reminisce KU-Missouri rivalry coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. So Christian Brown continues his strong play. And um, I, I did a little uh, college basketball reference search. And, and these always kind of crack me up because it's like, who is the last player to average 15.2 points, 5.8 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.4 steals on 42% or higher from three on a winning team on the road? And it's just, you know, sometimes they're overkill. But I, I tried to simplify this one. So I did a, a search of Kansas basketball players, and college basketball reference goes back to 1992. So this is back over the last uh, 30 years. Of players to average at least 16 points, seven rebounds, Two and a half assists, one steal per game. Only guy on that list, Josh Jackson. Only guy. He was good. Yeah, he was. Wait, and you're, that's not just for Jayhawks. 
No, this is just Jayhawks. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, wow, that would yeah, be just coincidence. Kansas players. Um, this is what Christian Brown is averaging right now. Over 17 points, over 7 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 1.5 steals. Did so you put, he clears all of those. Did you put shooting percentage in there as a, as a caveat? No, I didn't. He wasn't a, that was the other thing about Josh. He wasn't a particularly great. He ended up having three, a good shooting three, year, Yeah, though. but three. he started off struggling from three-point mm-hmm. land. Yeah, he ended up, I think, around 38%, which was kind of weird because it wasn't really indicative of how good of a shooter or, you know, uh, I guess the weakness. It was, it was higher than shooter. I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's how good Christian Brown has been. And I personally, I mentioned it with with Jesse, and he kind of laughed it off. I would personally like to start the Christian Brown National Player of the Year hype train. Now, it doesn't mean... Have you know, at it. I, you know, we still have the Ochai Baji hype train as well. That train is still chugging along, plenty of choo-choos along the way. We are now, at least myself, I am starting Christian Brown's hype train as well. So we have both going at the same time. I'd like to, I'd, yeah, um... I sure. just think he's played so he's, well. He's, I mean, he deserves to be in that conversation. Really, he's I'm been not saying really, he really win good. It. I, I think it's it's a stark, and this if, if he continues at this pace, he'll catch up. But he's still at this moment because there have only been eight games, um, and because he struggled or not struggled, but he wasn't as good in the first two. He's still so far behind in terms of averages behind Ochai Baji. But look, it, those two games. Once we get to the 30th game of the year, those two games will be such a small percentage of the overall, um, it, you know, the overall mm-hmm. deal that it, it they they'll be less way less consequential. So I mean, look, if, if KU has two players who from mid November on are playing at this level, uh, if K, if Christian Brown continues at this level, that to me that's the bigger argument. It, it isn't what award could he win. It's two questions. One is it can it be sustained over a full year? The longer it happens, the more evidence we have that it can. And what does that mean for KU? Because to me, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, and I'll get into that in a second. But I just think if you would have if you would have come into a season and said Kansas is going to end up being and and we don't know if this will be the case, but you know if Kansas ends up being a top five team in the country. And you said you have a guy on a top five team in the country who averaged 17 points, seven rebounds, three assists per game, one and a half steals, was shooting ridiculous numbers from the field. You would say he's an All-American. You would say he's a national player. Oh, yeah. And then if you I mean, if you're an All-American, I mean, just, you are a candidate for but it. Even if you just reel off his stats from the past, from the if you if you take out the, the, the yeah, games. If you take out those two, well. I mean, it's probably like up to like 20, 19 points, points, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so pretty I mean, that's incredible. even, you know, it's even more impressive because he started off kind of just fine. He wasn't bad, but he was just fine. Yeah, yeah. And um, Bill Self was saying, you know, we think we can get more out of him. We think that he showed more in the offseason. Little did we know this was going to be felt, what that is. And I don't mean this in a bad way. Do you think he felt a little fire behind him with Jalen Wilson coming back? That's definitely a possibility because— And he got more assertive. I mean, he yeah. couldn't have gotten any better. You get better in the offseason— so it's not like you could have all of a sudden improved this much over the course of the mm-hmm. second game to the third game and, and where he is now. Well, I mean, you, but he if, was playing if, the four. But if he was always that, if he always had this in him and it took the threat of losing, I mean, it, it's very possible that he went, wait a minute, I kind of like this starting mm-hmm. thing. I kind of like this 20, 25 minutes a game thing. I kind of like this, you know, fighting to be the leading scorer thing. I kind of like all this. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give it away to, to Jalen Wilson so easily. And that's not – I'm not suggesting that there's controversy on the team, 
But it goes back to what we talked about, that what depth can provide is players you know, competing with each other. You hope it doesn't mess with team chemistry, and I don't have any reason to believe that it will. But if you have good players on the same team competing against each other for playing time, it's going to make both of them better. And I wonder if Christian Brown has kind of said, hey, wait a minute, I, I want to keep this role and he I'm gonna, you know, and, and I'm gonna assert myself a little more in order to do it. So both of them are on my national player of the year hype train, and you can join it or not if you want. But um I think no matter what, you would have to say right now, KU's two best players doesn't mean it'll end up this way, but right now, KU's two best players are wings. And it got me to thinking. Because we've seen great duos of big men. We've seen great depth of big men. We've seen great duos of lead guards, of just guards in general for KU. And technically, these guys count as guards, right? Um, So you could, whatever. But I, I think, you know, most people, if you were to say what position do Christian Brown and Ochag Baji play, you would say the wing. Yeah, and I mean, they, they would say, they would either say the wing or they would say guard, but guard has distinguished itself yeah, now yeah, yeah. from point guard. Yeah, yeah, so... Just Point classifying being, they, them as they, wings. Nobody would nobody would accuse them yeah, of playing the same position yeah. as Sharon Collins and, yeah. and Russell Robinson. Is this the best set of wings that KU has ever had under Bill Self? Because I, I mean yeah, I'm, going I'm trying back. to think off the top of my head. Obviously, you could say, well, they were both on the team last year, but they're so much better this year. Um you could go back to twenty twenty and it's like, who would you pair? You know, I, I don't know, Ochag Baji and Isaiah Moss. No, that's not getting it done. Um I think the the last contentious one, you'd probably have to go back to twenty sixteen, seventeen. You would say Josh Jackson plus Svee or LeGerald Vick, but that was not Svee from senior year Svee. That and and LeGerald Vick was obviously a guy who wasn't totally ready. Am I missing somebody who was on the wing? Who played the three? Who started at the three for that team? Because Josh was the four. Svee, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess it was Svee and sometimes Vick. So I don't think that would be the answer because as great as Josh was, if you just say, okay, Josh was as good as Ochai, or, or Ochai might be even better than Josh was as a freshman, you're taking Christian Brown over that version of Svee. Um, you could go back to like 2013-14, where you had Andrew Wiggins and Wayne Selden, but even then, a freshman Wayne Selden wasn't no, that I, good. Yeah, and, I, and I would take this year's Ochai over that Andrew Wiggins. 2012-13, um, I think, is the one that might... I would take... I would take yeah, ba- based on how assertive Ochai's been. Right. I mean, 2012-13, you have Ben McElmore and Travis Relford. Those are two good wings. Especially defensively. Those yeah. guys were freaks. But I still think I would um, take this one. Because I think you could argue Ochai. I mean, statistically, Ochai's been better than Ben, I don't ben know. McElmore. I don't better know. defender. I would say both of these guys are better than Travis Relford. Yeah. But I don't see either of them being a lottery pick. But so, I think so I don't know if the height is is, is is well yeah from an NBA draft perspective no but I did I I was listening to Sam Vecini who does you know draft work for the Athletic I was listening to his uh, mock draft a week or two ago and he had Ochai going I think seventeenth really so I don't think it would be that far fetched to say that Ochai is a senior is a better college basketball player what about, than Ben McElmore. And then certain, certainly you're taking Christian Brown over Travis Relford. This is an imperfect comparison because this team played a lot of three around two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually played almost exclusively three around two unless there was a matchup. Yeah, that's where you to. get tough. Um, like if you go back far enough, no, you don't have enough and wings. I, and I am going to go further back. Mm-hmm. Um, because this team played a lot more three around two, it's, it's, a, it's, a much, it's a very imperfect comparison, but Russian Chalmers. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where if you just think about guys right. who had a combination of drivability and shootability, but the thing is freakish athleticism. I would definitely not consider Mario Chalmers a wing. That's the problem right? with it. 
Um, he, but he did because there were very there were so few times when he was on the court with um, Collins and Robinson simultaneously. Usually, it was one of the other plus Chalmers. Yes, so he, he played wing ish for a three round two. That's the most wing you're going to get, right? But with a, with the four round one that the Jayhawks are currently playing, I'm, it's it's the best. Certainly, since Self has regularly gone to the four round one. It's the best combo of wings they've had. I mean, honestly, do you have to go back to, like, I don't even know when to say when was the last time KU had two? Because, seriously, what we're talking about here is two wings that are both all-American level right now. At the moment, yeah. I mean, that, I, I don't know when the last time you could say that happened. It can't. Would you have to go back to, like, I don't know, Paul Pierce? And, but even then, like, Jared Haas is a, is a guard, and he was an all-American level. Or Yeah, I think the you know, problem is the further the further back you go, the more teams you have that are playing with, two, guy, with two guys in the paint. Yeah. So you only have one wing. So I don't know. This is It's a very interesting. If you have any, you know, uh, questions or uh, any suggestions yourself, you can hit us up at RCST1320 on Twitter because – I seriously think this has got to be I mean, in conversation. When when you combine the fact that that very they haven't played with two wings for very long, um, with how good these are, yeah, I think that's a that's a very valid argument to make. Yeah. And I guess the overall point of that is, you know, it's more so fodder and radio talk. Like, does it matter whether they're the best or second best or fifth best all time at KU? Probably not. But the point is that they are so good. The combination of them um, that if you have your greatest wing combo of all time. If you have two guys who are wings who are All-American candidates, it's really hard not to see you having a very special, great season. So we'll see where this continues on and if Christian and Ochai can keep up their very strong level of play. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. David Lawrence talks KU Missouri next. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Joined now by David Lawrence of the Jayhawk Radio Network. So, David, I personally have never experienced a KU Missouri rivalry game. I uh, came to KU in 2013, and by then, the rivalry was no more. So, what would you tell someone like me or, or maybe somebody? You know, if they were coming in from like out of state and they didn't really understand the rivalry, what was going on, uh, of why it is such a big deal. Well, all you have to do is go down on Massachusetts Street, Derek, and uh, read some of the history of uh, where this all began. And um, it's different from any other rivalry because of that, because of the wars that they had on the border between people from Kansas, predominantly Lawrence, Kansas, and and uh, people from the state of Missouri. And it just didn't die out there uh, when slavery ended. It, it just continued on. Not that, uh, you know, that their feelings uh, for, for slavery are still there. Not at all. It's just that, uh, you know, as uh, Don Fambro said, this ain't no rivalry. It's a damn war. And they started it. <laughs> and he would also say, it's pretty simple. We're the good guys, and they're the bad guys, and that we were on the right side of that thing. Uh, but uh, this has continued on. I mean, uh, just going back to the early days, before basketball began, they were playing football over in Kansas City. And one of the reasons was to get a higher gate. The other reasons were is they would feel safer 
being on a neutral playing site, and they would play on Thanksgiving. And it was the game. If you just follow any of the uh, history going back around Lawrence and, and what was going on 100 years ago and so forth, uh, this was the game everyone had to see. Even before, uh, you know, telephone began, people would gather down at the telegraph office, which was where the uh, uh, LJ World is or used to be, and uh, they would have the telegraph going from Kansas City, and they had those big bullhorns, and they would, you know, shout out, you know, Jayhawkers score a touchdown, and <laughs> everyone was probably there with their brown paper sacks and cheering on, and it, it was what everybody did. It was the go-to place. Even people that weren't into sports, they were into the Kansas-Missouri game. It was just what it was all about because you wanted to see if if our guys uh who we always obviously knew as the good guys could win and everything was right with the world so uh, it, it was rooted in, in a war uh granted it was never war specifically kansas versus missouri outside of those border wars but uh it's just continued on and and the, the feelings uh, the emotions and it's been kept alive by a lot of key individuals, you know, Norm Stewart, Don Fambro, uh, et cetera. Um, it, you know, it's interesting to see all the student groups camped out in Allen Fieldhouse, you know, beginning first day of the week. Uh, to, it's kind of comforting to know that those feelings have continued after nine months playing each other. And, and I'm sure a lot of them have parents that were a part of this, and they had parents that were a part of this. And these things just get passed down. We're talking with David Lawrence here, uh, who I thought would be a good representative for uh, just to talk to about this rivalry and everything. So how much of your, I I guess, uh, I heard Don Fambro say, you know, I was told never to hate anybody, but I strongly dislike Missouri. Um, How how much of your strong dislike of Missouri comes from Don Fambro? (laughs) Well, I carry on his stories. You know, he was my mentor as well as coach and a second father figure. So I was pretty close to him for 30 years after I was done playing uh, before he passed. Um, and Fambro, what's interesting about him, besides the fact that, you know, he came to Kansas to be a Jayhawk by way of Ray Evans, who recruited him out of World War II, uh, he had a real life experience that made him hate them and that was after winning the Orange Bowl uh, there was a big nucleus of Jayhawks uh, that were part of the war package and they were told they get an extra year of eligibility and um, so they go through spring ball and the Sambro said back then spring ball was every day between snow and summer <laughs> so not something that, that you know you would look forward to as far because you weren't playing any games well, at that time, the Big Six Conference, just because of money, would share the um, head of uh, the conference, uh, commissioner. And it's, in 1947, it was Missouri's turn. So the Missouri Athletics Director was the commissioner of the Big Six Conference. And uh, he took a look at this rule that allowed these war veterans to come back and have the extra year 
And he also took a look at the landscape and noticed that Kansas, who won the conference the previous year, had a large group, more than any other conference, of those guys coming back to be awarded that extra year. So he came up with a rule, retroactive, that said that because this was going to allow 25- and 26-year-old guys, men, to play with college kids, he wanted to disallow that rule. And so Fabro and a lot of his uh, teammates were told, no, they could not participate in 1947. And that's where his dislike for Missouri amped up to probably a hate because of all those days he spent out there working his tail off in spring practice, and then he didn't get to have a season all because of the athletics director from Missouri. Wow. Um, you got to play in this rivalry yourself. Um, I believe your your last year, was that the year in 1981 when they defeated Missouri 19-11? to Do I have that right? Wow. Yeah, and interestingly, 40 years, I actually have on the shirt. Uh, if you're really nice to me, maybe I'll drop you one by. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, it's a collector's item already. They were ranked, um, I think, number 10 in the country. They had the, the first or second best defense in the country. And back then, not many bowls, Derek, as you probably and we were told the winner of the Kansas and Missouri game was going to get an invitation to the Tangerine Bowl. And that, you know, we're excited. We're building for this year. Uh, this is the first year in a while that, you know, we have this opportunity to play for a bowl. Well, Monday of that week, um, news came out that the Missouri Tigers struck up a deal with the Tangerine Bowl mm. and got the invitation. And even though that allowed them to go to a much nicer bowl than us, it certainly worked in our favor as Fambro, who was the absolute king of motivation for this game. You talk about fuel for the fire. I mean, just laid it on about them striking this backdoor deal. And, you know, I can't promise you a bowl game. I can promise you we're going to play these such and such guys. <laughs> And uh, we whipped them. They scored eight points in the last few seconds. But, uh, I mean, it was 19-3 to before the end of the game. And, of course, uh, the goalposts get marched into Potter's Lake. And uh, good times were had by all. And what a great way to finish out, you know, your, your career. The, the game in Birmingham, Alabama, was kind of an afterthought because literally that was our bowl game, playing the Tigers um, – in a, in a time when they were really good and we were good, and it just meant a lot to us. And Don Fambro helped, you know, get that amped up to make that rivalry what it was. And certainly Memorial Stadium was full on that day, and that's kind of the way it was supposed to be. You know, you finished playing the Missouri Tigers because that game means everything. Do you remember, like, I, I don't know, how chippy the game was or, or any instances of – uh, you know, just on the field of, of how much both teams were taking the rivalry or anything in the locker room with, you know, I, I don't know how many of the speeches or anything before the game you remember from Don Fanborough because maybe uh, a lot of them kind of run together, but I would imagine the ones before the Missouri probably stick out a little more. Well, yeah, I definitely remember they had a, an all-conference defensive tackle. I can't remember his name, but he gave a late 
cheap shot to Frank Sire. Our quarterback was really good. He was just a sophomore that year, and uh, he could not play in our bowl game in Birmingham, Alabama, because of this late hit. So certainly that, you know, lived on in infamy, as they say. Um, it, there was there was fights all the time, and uh, you, you know, and you look at the. You can't really see the YouTube videos of the football fights, but you can YouTube some basketball fights. It's, it, it, yeah. it entertains me today when they, you know, a couple of people kind of push each other and they hug a little <laughs> bit on the court and they say, what a brawl. <laughs> you want to see a brawl, YouTube, Kansas, Missouri basketball fights. I mean, it was literally like one-on-one heavyweight bouts going on all over the court and onto it spilled out onto the track. I mean, those were fights <laughs> today, um, they, and it's good. It's good that we got rid of that, but it just shows you uh, a Missouri-Kansas fight is a little bit different from others. Yeah, the 1961, uh, that's the fight you should look up. It is absolutely unbelievable. Um, that that went on on a basketball court. If that happens today, like with all the TV coverage and the different camera angles, like I, I can only imagine how many suspensions get laid down for every player and, and like uh, the repercussions that would come to the specific schools and the universities from the Big 12 and the NCAA. It would be absolutely wild. Was there, you know, I, I know when you were at KU, it was like 20 years later than that, but were there kind of folk stories and, and tales about that big basketball fight from 1961? Well, I mean, Fambro had so many on the football end of it, and they just go on and on. And he would tell the story, you know, that the JV game or the freshman game was a big deal because freshmen weren't eligible, and so all the freshmen and red shirts, you know, and Kansas, they would play each other, and there would be a big crowd there because it was Kansas and Missouri. Well, you would have. Um, you know, local referees, officials, and the people that were working the chains in Columbia for Kansas-Missouri JV game were locals who had the brown paper sacks going. But but also, anytime they would measure for a first down, if it was Missouri, they would take that little uh, down marker and they would they would roll it up. <laughs> so essentially, it would be about eight yards. And any time they would measure for the first down for Kansas, they would unravel it. Uh, I mean, that's just one, one of the, the many stories uh, that, that are part of this. Fambro told the story of of what uh, they didn't have advanced warning on uh, weather back then, and they spent the night somewhere in central Missouri and going to play Missouri on the Saturday, the last Saturday. So it was a cold weather type situation. Well, he said when they went to bed, it was, you know, temperatures were great, but they woke up and had the windows open and snow was blowing in, blistery. The temperatures dropped 30 degrees. They had warm weather gear and they went, they went to the um, Missouri people and asked for anything to, to keep people warm on the sideline. They were not prepared. And of course, according to Fambro, they said, go to hell, you know, just freeze. <laughs> so, uh, uh, J.V. Sykes, the coach, uh, gave the the orders to the bus driver to bus through the gates and drive the bus onto the track where they kept the bus warm for the players when they were playing in the games. And uh, that caused a few more 
fights regarding that. So there's there's stories throughout, but I got to tell you about one that I witnessed. And and, and before telling this, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of Jayhawkers out there. That's what we called early that were pretty cruel to the Tigers when they came to Lawrence. Uh, and I never experienced a, a, anything quite like what happened in 1998. But I was doing the sideline for the Jayhawk Radio Network, and it was right before the technology would allow you, for, for cell phones and all those kinds of things. Uh, we lost 41-23, to 23 and you had a running back named West that uh, I think got a record 300-plus yards that day. But the story lies in the antlers what were right behind our team and uh, being down there and watching it was like a movie you would never believe and when i tell you i'm totally serious that there was 100 plus uh empty pint bottles of alcohol beer cans thrown at our team in the stands i mean hundreds wow and, and the highway patrolman who uh they get fed by the Tiger Athletics Administration there. And so they, they all come out and they have the meal and they, they uh, are in charge of security on the field. So there's two of them right there in front of our sidelines. And he's looking up at the stands and literally, I mean, volumes of bottles coming out of the stands being thrown at the feet of our players and some of them hitting our players. And I look at him and I just go over there and say, and I point to him. I said, what are you going to do about this? And the guy didn't even acknowledge me. It's like oh. I didn't exist. And then every time out, they would come and grab big boxes of uh, big boxes and then fill them up with all the evidence on the field and cart it off. Uh, and nothing that I know what came about because of this. And maybe the worst thing that happened was that cups, I mean, plural cups of urine that were thrown on our uh, band uh, in the stands and of course those wool uniforms they had on back then and they vowed never to return which only really punishes the our team um the only thing i can remember is harrison hill's dad writing a letter to the editor uh but nothing to to my um, my memory that that anything was done about this two years later we were there uh and we were put on the other side, away from the antlers. And I joked with Bob and Max on the radio. I said, well, I still might get hit by a whiskey bottle, but at least it'll be better whiskey. <laughs> uh, being on the alumni side. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff. And I'm sure I'm sure we treated their team pretty rudely as well. But uh, that one's always interesting. My son, who was about 12 years old, happened to be with me that day. So... Uh, he's he's pretty fired up about this rivalry as well. Well, those are some great stories, David. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that with us. And uh, we'll hear you on the pregame this Saturday for KU Missouri. I believe pregame starts at 1245, tip off at 215 here on KLWN. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, David, one last thing. If you could uh, magically make one food uh, healthy, what would it be? Mm. Wow, great question, Adam. There would be so many that would come to mind. But I, I think that I could have uh, the perfect tortilla chip and the best hot salsa and cheese dip. Mm. I could live on that for eternity. 
So if we could make that a healthy food, I'm all in. And I, I go there too much. Problem is, it's like the alcoholic. If I go there, it's baskets, plural, of chips. <laughs> and literally a quart of the salsa and big bowls of the cheese dip. So that's where I would be. We'll that's take a good it. One. We'll take it. I might go ice cream, honestly. I don't know. Mm. Steak, maybe. But anyway, that's David Lawrence. You can check him out on the game on Saturday on the Jayhawk Radio Network. DL, thank you so much for the time, as always, man. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right, that was David Lawrence of the Jayhawk Radio Network with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.